Welcome to Grace Marietta, where our mission is to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. If this is your first time listening, we want to say welcome and invite you to our Sunday gathering, which happens every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and is streamed online via Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for joining us. My name is Ben. I'm the pastor here. Uh, I was told by one of our students this morning that I am his second favorite pastor in the state of Georgia. So I got that going for me. Uh, I'm going to ask Allie to come up as we want to talk about some Kingdom Dream stuff. But before I do, I want to recognize that today is Tyler's birthday. Tyler is, Tyler is 27 today. And on Tuesday is Douglas's birthday. And Douglas is 28. On Tuesday, on, tu- on Tuesday he's 28. So here's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting that neither of them pay for their lunch today. That somebody's getting covering that. Can we get that covered today? Uh, and that and all the gift cards can be distributed to Lisa and to Anna. All right. So we'll we'll take care of them. Uh, I'm gonna have Allie come up and uh, want to start by just kind of having some time to talk. Uh, with Allie about what's been happening kind of behind the scenes as we've been talking about kingdom dreams in here. And so we've been dreaming about kind of the new vision and direction for the church. We've been praying about our vision and values and beliefs and who we are. And over the last six, eight, six to eight weeks, we've been talking about them here publicly. But prior to that, there's been a lot of things that have been happening kind of behind the scenes as we prepare to be a community that awakens kingdom dreams. Uh, and so I wanted to talk with Allie. Allie is our communications director and does an amazing job. So everything you see on social media, all of our graphics, all of our signage, all of the things like that that you see on the screen, that's all because Allie's brilliant and amazing. Uh, Allie is also our launch groups director, and she's leading the charge uh, with all of the launch groups that are happening in our community right now. So what would you say to everybody about what are the steps that we're taking as a church that are kind of happening behind the scenes because they're seeing what's happening on Sunday, but what's happening behind the scenes uh, that is like taking steps in order for us to equip the church to become a church that unleashes kingdom dreams? Yes. So hi, everyone. Good to see Can you Can we this give it morning. up for Allie? She's, a, she's, she's awesome. Um, yeah. So like Ben said, and he's talked about a lot over this series. For the past year, our staff has been working really hard to more clearly define what our mission is, which is to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. All of you, if you've been here through the series, can probably say it like in your dreams now. Um, Yes, you can. Um, So while we've been defining that mission and working out what it means, we've also been working on how do we live that out? How as a church family do we actually not just talk about it on a Sunday, not hear Ben preach awesome sermons about it, but actually live it out together as a church family? And so if you, I'm kind of going to break up the mission statement to talk about it, but if you look at our mission statement, there's kind of three parts to it. So the first one is awaken each other. So what does that mean? We have to know what our kingdom dreams are. Like, what is the Lord calling us to do? What is the kingdom dream that he's placed on all of our hearts? So we have developed a training for that. If you don't know what your kingdom dream is, we've been working on some trainings that can help you know what your kingdom dream is and how to live it out. So we are going to, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but we are going to have a training coming up called Discover Labs, which will allow you to kind of discern with some people on our staff and with the Lord about what your kingdom dream is and what you're called to. The second is to live kingdom dreams. So we don't want to just know what our kingdom dreams are. We want to live them out. So we've also developed a training for that, which it's so funny talking about these things to y'all because like Ben said, we've been working on these for 
weeks now, so um, it's awesome to share them. But that is called Launch Labs, which is take your kingdom dream, know what it is, and then learn how to live it out. Um, and we actually had our first Launch Labs over the past six weeks with some leaders in our community. We used them as our little guinea pigs and tested out our Launch Labs material on them. And it was amazing. It was so great. Um, and then finally, the last part is in a world that's fast asleep. So we don't want to just know where our kingdom dream is or live it. We want to live it out in the world, not just in our yes. church. And so we are developing these launch groups. And those groups are a way that we as a community can live out kingdom dreams together, but not just in here, out in our community to serve each other as a church family, but also to serve our Grace Marietta neighborhood and beyond. So that's kind of what we've been working on behind the scenes that we're now starting to share with y'all. You'll hear more about in the coming weeks so that we can live out our kingdom dreams together. Yes, it's been awesome. I've loved, it's been my favorite part of the week. Every week is to gather with a group of leaders who kind of have a defined kingdom dream mm -hmm. and know where God's calling them and are trying to figure out how to do that and what it looks like. And for us to encourage each other to uh, like tell each other, you can do that, uh, and equip each other to do it. It's been amazing. Tell us a little bit about some of the dreams that have come out of that and what's excited you the most about it. Yeah, so like Ben said, over the last few weeks, we had some leaders in our community, like you said, who already kind of had a sense of what their kingdom dream was. So we invited them to come to our first round of Launch Labs to learn how to live it out. And I just want to say, you all have some awesome people in your church family who just, the Lord has placed amazing dreams on their heart. Um, we have a group that wants to help equip people to know more about mental health and how to pastor people through that, a group that wants to meet the practical needs of our community, a group that wants to take people on small mission trips, just so many exciting kingdom dreams that are going to be birthed into launch groups hopefully soon. Um, and we were, the thing I think that made me most excited, like Ben was just saying, was seeing other leaders in our community encourage each other's kingdom dreams. Like it really became like a little family unit all meeting together for these launch labs and just people cheering each other on. And I'm excited to see more and more of that happen in our community as we all learn what each other's kingdom dreams are and start to live them out. Yeah, it was so fun to see people sharing ideas and encouraging one another and saying, you need to try this or have you talked to this person? Like the ability that we have relationally to connect to one another and to encourage each other on so that we're not doing this as an individual project, but we're doing this together in community makes everything more powerful. Uh, and there's just so much more that we can do together than we can do alone. So that was yeah. really, really fun. And then also for me, it's just really exciting for us as a church to be discipling people who are on the road, right? Yes. Who are out in the community doing things. Yeah. So it's not like a lot of church discipleship is discipleship in a classroom, right? And so you're gathering together and you're learning, but there's no actual activity that goes with this. Well, all, we're, we're, we're training to go right now because yeah. everybody's taking real action steps week to week and really great things are happening. So if people are out there listening and are saying like, I'm, I'm down, I'm excited about this kingdom dream idea. Uh, like you've persuaded me over the last six to eight weeks that I want to pursue my kingdom calling. I, I want to discern what my personal calling is my, in my life. And I want to learn how to live it out in my daily life. I want to take on that ambassadorship that we've been talking about it, what are the next steps that people should be taking in order to connect to this and what are we doing to help everybody get connected to that yes so um like we said we just did launch labs for some leaders in our group that we invited into that space but we are actually going to open up our discover labs that i mentioned earlier um, for everyone as kind of a next step from this series so 
if throughout this series you've been like, yes, like I, I get a sense, like I kind of know what the Lord's calling me to and I want to explore that more. Or maybe you're like, I have no idea. Like I, I want to know what my kingdom dream is. I want to partner with the Lord on mission, but I have no idea where to get started. Um, we are going to open this Discover Labs for us all to do that together. It's going to be March 12th and 13th. And there is a link to register and with all the details for the weekend and what we're going to do and what it will be like on our website. So you can go to the homepage of our website and there's a little banner on there that says, Discover Labs, and you can click on that and get all of the details, and you can sign up to come, and you can email me if you have questions. I'd love to talk to you more about it, um, but that's like a first step that you can take to kind of engage in this more, and if you, even if you think you have an idea, you're like, I know what my kingdom dream is. Like, I'm ready to live it out. We'd still love for you to come to this Discover Labs yeah. because it will be like a first step to then doing the launch labs and launching your own launch group and all of that fun stuff, so we'd love for you to join us for that. And then the second thing is just keep engaging with us here, listening on Sundays. We're going to be announcing the launch group sometime in April. And if you, um, we'd love for everyone here to just walk alongside some people as they're launching their groups and to be in community here, but also to go out into our surrounding Marietta neighborhoods and serve and be on mission with the Lord. So those are kind of the yes. next two things that are coming for how you can actually start to live this out and we can live it together as family. Awesome. Very exciting. Give it up for Allie. She's amazing. I'm really, really excited about all this stuff. Uh, March 12th and 13th, uh, if you are interested in being discipled into your kingdom dream, or if you're already living into your kingdom dream and just say, I need some help along the way, or if you're just in a place where you're saying, I just want to discern what my personal calling is. Like, I know I'm called to something in the community, but I'm not quite sure what that is, or I know I'm called to live in a certain way, I just don't know what that is. We want to invite you to join us. Uh, I promise you it's going to be super fun. We're going to have a really good time. We'll laugh together. We'll enjoy kind of hanging out with one another. We'll encourage each other and sharpen each other and step forward into all of that. So I uh, highly encourage everybody to get involved in that. And these launch groups, these folks that have been going through this training over the past kind of two months, three months, uh, are going to roll out their uh, groups to the church. And there's great ways that we as a, a large community can help them out in pursuing those callings in the future. So jump in on all of those things. Today, I want to spend time talking about just that. I want to talk about how do we create a culture of awakening kingdom dreams. Uh, and culture creation is always difficult, right? It, it's easy to talk about who you want to be. It's easy to put a mission statement on the wall. It's easy to write kind of vision and value statements. The, the, the hard part is moving from aspirational values of what we want to be to lived values of who we really are. And so every company, I don't know, how many of you guys work at a company that somewhere in the building there is a, there, like their, their mission statement is there? Like it's written on the wall, it's written on the, uh, it's, there's somewhere. I, I, I've worked at so many different companies where they like put the, they put the mission statement everywhere, but nobody actually even knows what it is. It's funny because it's all over the wall, but if you ask somebody, hey, what's our actual mission statement, what's our vision and values, they can't actually tell you what it actually is. Because what it is, is it's an aspirational thing. It's, it's, this is what we'd like to be, but we don't know how to create a culture so that we can actually become that. And so for us to become a community that awakens each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep, we have to create a culture that allows that to happen. Uh, dreams don't happen in a vacuum. Like, like dreamers and entrepreneurs and, and, and musicians and athletes and actors, like none of those things, when they, when they reach the pinnacle, when they accept the award, when they get the MVP award, when they get the Grammy, when they get the Golden Globe award, whatever it is, when they get that award, those things don't happen because this person was just extremely talented and did all of this by themselves. 
Think about every musician that's ever won an award. Think about all the different music lessons that they've had throughout their life. Think about all the accompanists who came alongside of them and helped them build a piece, all the writers who helped them establish what they wanted to do, all the people who said to them, you can sing, you can play the guitar, you can play the cello, whatever it is, I believe in you. All of the people that came alongside of them, think of every athlete, whoever made it. I had my first player that I coached get drafted into the NBA this year. It was really, really amazing. Uh, I was super excited about it. And although I don't think he gives me the credit for him being in the NBA uh, as his eighth grade AAU coach, uh, he does still call me coach, just for the record. Uh, and, and, and I was so excited about it, but I was thinking about this. I was thinking about all the coaches this kid has had. Like he's had school coaches, right? He had a high school coach. He had a JV coach. He had a freshman coach. He had AAU coaches every different summer. He had youth league coaches. He had elementary school coaches. He had trainers that worked with him when he was young. He had trainers that worked with him when he's older. Now he's got an NBA coach that's coaching him who's probably better than me. Uh, But he's got all these different coaches who've come alongside of him and helped him get to where he wants to be. Dreams don't happen outside of community. We do it together. We always do it together. And so Paul, when he was writing to the church in Colossae, he's writing to this church in Colossians that is a church that he actually didn't plant. It's not a church that he started. So unlike a lot of the other churches that he writes to, Paul has actually never been to this church. There's a guy named Epaphras, and Epaphras went to Ephesus, which kind of sounds like his name. Uh, So maybe that's why he went there. He was like, it sounds like my name. It'd be a fun vacation place. I'll go there. And so Epaphras goes to Ephesus, and while he's in Ephesus, he interacts with the church in Ephesus. He comes to know Jesus as his Savior. Things are radically transformed in him. He's discipled. He goes back to Colossae, and when he goes back to Colossae, he starts a church. He's got a kingdom dream. He's got this vision of what if we could do here what's happening in Ephesus? What if we could create a transformational community that's changing the world and changing culture and transforming the way people live? What if we do that here in my community? And so he starts this thing and people start coming and people start joining. And Paul hears about it because Epaphras comes and visits Paul in prison and tells him all the stories of, Paul, this amazing thing's happening in Colossae. This is what God is doing. This is how the dream is starting. This is how the sprouts of the kingdom dream are starting to grow. And we're not as big as Ephesus yet, but there's this growing thing that's happening. And here's the challenges. We've got people that are telling us that Jesus isn't the Messiah. And we've got people that are false teachers that are teaching all kinds of strange doctrine. And we've got fighting and infighting in our community and people that are arguing. And so Paul says, let me write a letter to your community. Let me write a letter, just like I've written to the churches that I pastor and that I started, let me write a letter of encouragement to your church as well. And in Colossians chapter three, these are the things he says for a community that is sprouting a kingdom dream. These are the things that he says to a community that is just beginning to live awake to the calling of God in their life and step out in challenging ways. This is what he says to a community that's entered into the disorientation and entered into the desert and is starting to climb the new mountain that God has put in front of them. He says this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, put on then as God's holy and chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all of these things, put on love, 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called as one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness with your hearts to God. And whatever you do in work or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him to God through the Father, through him. Here's what he's saying. If you want to be a community that sprouts kingdom dreams, if you want to don't just have an aspirational value of becoming a church that makes a difference in the world, then here's what you need to do. Put on love. Be meek. Be humble. Be kind. Forgive one another. Gather together and worship together. Teach the word to one another. Be faithful and pursue this over and over again. Let peace rule in your hearts. It's all of these things that happen in community. He doesn't say, like, go find the most talented worship leader that you can possibly find. Go find that guy who can really sing and get him up in front. He doesn't say, go train somebody to be the best preacher. I've got three preaching schools that are happening across the country, and you can pay $2.99 to be a part of each of those. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, listen, if you want to be a community that makes a difference, then put on love. Love each other. Forgive each other. Urge each other on. Encourage one another. Paul's, one of the main statements that Paul uses over and over again in his letters is this statement of one another. This is what we do for one another, which means this is what we do for ourselves and for each other, that we become this community that does this one anothering together because because Paul believes this, because Jesus believed this, because God knows this, and it's that we are better together. We're better together. No kingdom dream happens in a vacuum. No kingdom dream happens because one person is really talented or really gifted or has some great idea. It happens because there is a community that comes alongside of them and helps make the dream happen. Uh, For every great partnership that there's ever been, there's also stories of partnerships that were derailed because relationships couldn't happen. Right? For every John and Paul, there's there's a Ringo, <laughs> right? For every, for every Michael and Scotty, there's a Tracy McGrady or somebody that can't get along with anybody on their team. Like, like there, there are all of these different things of there's these ideas. Imagine how many ideas, brilliant ideas that people have had throughout the, throughout the course of history that never came to pass because relationships were the barrier. Because two partners couldn't work together. It's amazing to me, like in, in the NBA right now, there's all of these teams that are getting their big three is what they're calling them. And what they do is, this is it's so different from when I grew up, and I, I hate it, honestly. I'm, I'm old school. I'm like grouchy dad when it comes to basketball. But, but Michael Jordan, his team wasn't the best, and so he worked harder and got his team better and so that they could win. Um, in, in today's economy, what they do is they just find their three buddies who are the other three best players in the league, and they go and they leave one team and go to another team and try and create these super teams. Uh, it's really, really annoying. Um, but what happens in the middle of these is sometimes these teams look amazing on paper. Like this guy averaged 25 points a game here. This guy averaged 28 points a game here. This guy was, was getting 30 points over here. But then they come together on a team, and none of them play defense. 
right? Or, or they all look great when they had the right pieces around them, but when they don't have the right pieces around them, it all begins to fall apart. I, I worked in ministry at this amazing team. It was the greatest team that I've ever been a part of. It was all of these brilliant leaders from all over the country that had traveled together to be a part of this traveling ministry where we'd go and make disciples. And we sat together every week and just the conversations were just brilliant. We'd get whiteboards and we'd come up with all of this content and we wrote like 12 books in our few years together, and there was all of this content and material and this beautiful stuff, and the events that we were leading were amazing, and everything was great. But the leader couldn't work with anybody else. And so the ministry completely fell apart. And now I look around, and I see all of my buddies and friends who I worked with in this ministry who are often have started their own ministries or are leading churches or are doing great things on their own, but every single week, there's not a week that goes by where I don't think, man, we could have created something beautiful together. If the relational stuff hadn't just gotten in the way. I think one of the greatest things that the enemy does to destroy kingdom dreams is he places relational friction in the middle of ministries. It's why churches split. It's why there's so much brokenness. It's because me comes first. It's because there's this idea of we can't work out the relational stuff so the dream never comes to life. And so I've been asking the question, how do we create a healthy culture of dreaming and innovation? How do we create not an aspirational vision of who we could become, but a lived vision of awakening kingdom dreams? And, and, and the first thing we have to do is we have to encourage one another. I mean, it sounds so simple, and it sounds like this silly little thing, but I've been thinking a lot about encouragement recently. Uh, I, I, I've been watching lots of basketball because that's what I do, and I know I use too many basketball illustrations, and I apologize, but you're just going to have to live with it because that's where the Lord tells me to use illustrations. Uh, today, my, my favorite team is, is Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, they're number three in the country. Today, they play the team from up north, which is our rivals. We don't say their name. It's kind of like Voldemort. Uh, we don't say their name, so we just say the team from up north. Uh, but we play them today. It's number three against number four. It happens right after church today, and I'm super excited about that game. And, and here's one of the things I've noticed as I've been watching the games. Um, it, they were interviewing one of the Ohio State players a few weeks ago, one of the leaders of the team, and the, the gyms are empty right now, right? So there's no fans in the arena. And these are massive arenas, right? When, when the NBA was playing in the bubble, they're playing in this tiny little gym and it's okay. But you're playing in these massive, empty, like cavernous arenas. Like this room feels really big when you're the only one in it. Uh, but can you imagine being in a, an arena that holds 20,000 people and, and there's 10 people playing and there's two coaches and there's a few other people on the sidelines and there's a TV camera here and, a, and that's it. And so what the teams have said is, this year, more than any other year, it's so important that our team on the sideline encourages one another. And so as you watch these games, the players on the bench are more involved in the game than I've ever seen. They're clapping, they're cheering, they're yelling, they're shouting. It sounds, when you watch the game, like there's a bunch of people in the arena and there's a bunch of people cheering, when the reality is it's just the bench. And so this captain of the Ohio State's team was standing up a few weeks ago and was getting interviewed, and, and they said, what's been spurring you on? What's been helping you guys on this road to success? And he said, the fact that our team is so bonded together because there's nobody else for us. We feel like it's just us against the world. 
And we feel like we've gotta have those voices of encouragement when all the other voices around us are negative. That's a great picture of the church, guys. We are in it together. We're in a world where it's dangerous. There's all these other voices that tell us what we're not, but there should be a bench around us that we gather in every single week, every single Sunday, every time we gather in small groups that is cheering us on. The Bible calls this their cloud of witnesses. There is a cloud of witnesses that is urging you on, some of them from the grave. Like I think about my grandparents. I think about the investment that they made in me so that I could become a pastor. I think about the way they discipled my parents and the way they discipled my aunt and my uncles and the way they cared for our family and they built a foundation of faith and I know that they're cheering me on from heaven. I think about my aunt who was a missionary who spent her entire life with the Uyghur people in China who, who, who gave her entire life. My favorite picture, I have this picture of her standing in the middle of this village in, in, in China with her Bible in the air like this. And, and, and I, I have that everywhere I go because she's a cloud of witnesses for me. I think about my parents and the way that they invested in me. I think about all the people that have discipled me. We encourage one another. We become this cloud of witnesses for each other. And so I was thinking this week, like, why is it that sometimes criticism hits so much harder than praise? Because here's what can happen to me, and I, I'm assuming that it's not just unique to me. I'm assuming everybody's like this, but maybe I'm just weird. But, but what happens to me is I will preach a sermon, and I'll have 10 people as I walk out the door say, good, pastor, good, good sermon, pastor, good job. Not, not many people call me pastor. Good job, Ben. Like that, that kind of thing. Uh, and, then, and then I'll get one email on Monday morning that's like, you didn't preach the Bible right. You didn't, that wasn't the correct interpretation of that text or like some kind of strange something. And I'm like, you, where did you learn that? YouTube? Like I, I watched a video or so. I, like, I don't know. But it was just like the one thing that's, and every time that one thing drives me so much more crazy than the 15 praises. Anybody else like that? Like you get that one thing. And here's what I was thinking. Here's the reason why. It's because criticism is always specific. Criticism is always specific. It's like you taught that badly and because of this you did this wrong and here's exactly what you did wrong. Encouragement is always vague. We don't know how to encourage specifically. We don't know how to encourage with like in intentionality. So we have good intentions of encouraging, but it's just like, hey, good job. Instead of saying these kinds of statements, I'm learning to say these kinds of statements with my kids and with people around me. I see this in you. I see this in you. When you do this, I see the glory of God fall. I see this beautiful spirit come out of you. I see this amazing thing. Or when you do this, you look like Jesus to me. When you teach, when you train, when you talk about the Bible, when you do this thing, you look like Jesus to me. And getting really specific with our encouragement. Because the world is always giving us criticism. And so we become this community that actually gets specific um, criticism, it's actually been proven, it, it, there's, there's a learned response in our brain that is triggered. Our amygdala gets triggered by criticism, and it jumps us into this place of, of fight or flight every time we experience it. Like our brain, listen to this, 
Our brain is actually wired to the fact that it will respond to criticism more than encouragement. That's why. The reason why that email drives us crazy is because our brains are actually wired that way. If there's not a sign of the fall in our bodies, I would say that's one of them. We're actually wired for that. And so what happens is there's this neurological, emotional, encoded response that we have in our minds and in our bodies to discouragement. And the only way that works itself out is when encouragement overpowers discouragement. And the only way that happens is in community. It can't happen when you're on your own. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is writing to another church And in this, he says this, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet and hope of salvation. There's this imagery of like war army getting prepared for a battle. We put on this breastplate, we put on this helmet, we're putting on our armor to actually go to battle. And it says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live for him. Listen to this, therefore, and so my Bible professor in college always said, whenever there's a therefore, ask the question, what's it there for? All right, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Listen to this. Paul's saying, if we're going to prepare for battle, the armor that we wear is encouragement. If we're gonna prepare to go out into the world and fight these battles and we're gonna prepare to step out into dangerous places or scary places or places where we're a little insecure or we don't know exactly what we're supposed to do, the armor we wear is encouragement and the only place we get that is is, is in community. And can I suggest that the greatest place to get that is the church? Can I suggest that that's good news to the entire world? That there's not a single person in the world. Show me the most hardened criminal in our prison system right now. They want to belong to a community where they're encouraged. Show me the person who's furthest from God, who has no desire to be a part of a church, who thinks God is awful or something like that, and they want to belong to a community where they're encouraged. It's amazingly good news for us to offer to the world. The last thing is that we call the best out in one another, and we don't care who gets the credit. Have you ever seen something, have you ever had somebody see something in you that you don't see in yourself? Have you ever had somebody that believes in you more than you believe in yourself? I I think this is a beautiful, I, I think this is one of the most beautiful things that happens in a healthy marriage, guys, is that your spouse believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Like, I see so much in Sarah. I believe that Sarah could conquer the world if she decided to. And she believes in me more than anybody else in the world believes in me. And she calls out the best in me over and over and over again. And that's this beautiful community that we become. We see it in others. And then we don't care who gets the credit. When I grew up, my, I, I grew up in a youth group that was large. There was a lot of students in our student ministry. It was like three to 500 students, and it was always fun to gather together, and we'd have these big worship nights and crazy things that would happen. And we did these big trips every summer. And, and so one year, we were going to Winnipeg, Canada. I don't know why we chose Winnipeg, Canada. It sounds like a strange 
mission site, but that's where we decided to go that year, and so everybody was raising money for it, and my dad was just this kind of guy at the church who did all the stuff that nobody saw or recognized or knew was happening. My dad was like the guy that they called when the grass needed cut, and it was Sunday morning at 8 a.m., and people were coming at 9. He was that guy. Some of you out there, you're that guy here, here at Grace. I appreciate you and love you. Uh, but, but he was just the guy that just did this behind-the-scenes stuff that nobody noticed, nobody saw. He was never an elder. My dad never preached a sermon. He was never a deacon. He never had any kind of official title in the church. But my dad would give this shirt off his back to anybody in our church at any point. I can't tell you how many times I watched my dad write a check so that a kid in our youth ministry could go somewhere they couldn't afford to go. And so my dad had this passion that he wanted every kid to be able to go to Winnipeg. He was really fired up about Winnipeg that year. <laughs> and, uh, and so he had this idea, like, what if we did a 5K run? And we invited all of these people who are runners from our church to run, and we charged, and we got sponsors, and we did this thing. And, and so he arranged this whole thing. He worked for months on it, like month after month after month, my dad worked on it and, and did all this hard work. He was like, and he did it all in obscurity, like all on his own. And he put together all these things, and he worked with vendors, and he had signs for the route, and he marketed and went to businesses, and there were hundreds and hundreds of runners that participated in it. And we ended up raising like $20,000 for kids to go to Winnipeg. And at the end of the day, everybody's gathered together like on the lawn of the church and there's this big crowd out there and the pastor gets up and pastors are dumb. And so the pastor says, I just want to thank the, the chairman of the elder board for this, for this work and for what happened today. And the chairman of the elder board is so great and he did all this work. And I was like, I, I, I saw my, my mother like grab my arm because I was about to in like a crowd of 300 people be like, no, he didn't. My dad did that. And I got in the car with my dad, and I was furious. I was like, are you kidding me? Who's that guy that's getting all the credit for the stuff that you came up with? Like, what's, what's all of this stuff? This is nonsense. This is crazy. And I, my dad looked at me, and he said, Ben, you know how many kids are going on that missions trip? That's all he said. That's all he could see. He didn't care who got the credit. He didn't care if his name was shouted out. He didn't care what was going on. He taught me such a beautiful lesson that day. He said, I'll do the work, son, and I'll let God sort out who gets rewarded. Nothing derails a team more than fighting over who gets credit and who gets authority. Romans 15, 1 through 11 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We believe in each other to create a better future together. If we want to awaken a kingdom dream, we have to call out the best in another. We have to do it together. We have to understand that when the world calls out the best, the worst of us, we call out the best. Think about Peter's life trajectory when he met Jesus. He's a fisherman. He was a really successful fisherman, by the way. He had a, a, a very successful fishing business. He didn't have just one boat. He wasn't just some random guy that was going out there. He was very wealthy and had this large fishing business. But he had no vision of being a disciple or being a rabbi or being a pastor or doing any of those things until Jesus walked in and said, I see this in you. 
I'm calling you to something greater. I'm calling you to something bigger. And I just start thinking about the next generation, guys. And I'll, I'll just name this as a dad. I'm a dad of three kids. And I have to have a community that calls out the best in them beyond myself. My kids need other voices besides me and Sarah telling them who they could be and what they could become. I, I, I need people around them to do that because that's what people did for me. My youth pastor was a guy named Jerry Lewis. Uh, we always said we were Jerry's kids, which you only get that joke if you're old. Uh, but... <laughs> But, uh, but Jerry Lewis was my youth pastor, and, and I remember I was in seventh grade. I went on a youth trip, and there was a pastor up front who was preaching this kind of thing about how God was calling people into full-time Christian ministry, and I was the dorkiest little seventh grade kid who was trouble all the time. I was half in and half out of the youth group, like just awkward and weird, and I just was this weird kid. Nobody liked me and wanted to be around me, and and, and, and I, the, I, I remember this pastor's talking about you're called to full-time Christian ministry and God's calling you to preach. And I just walked forward and was like, yep, that's me. I'm going to be a preacher. And most people would have looked at me like, no, you're not. Jerry wrote me a four-page letter and stuck it in my Bible that night about how he knew I had been called to ministry for the last year and he'd been praying for me. And he put all of these prayers and all of these scriptures in it and just over and over again said, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. I was in a band in high school. Uh, I'm so grateful that YouTube wasn't a thing. When I, anybody else that's older, like so grateful that social media did not capture our, how dumb we are. Right? I'm so grateful that there's no evidence of that anywhere. I've destroyed all the VHS tapes that my parents had. Uh, but I was in a band, and we opened for like DC Talk and those kinds of groups. And there were people that would rap, and I would sing. It was disgusting. I danced. Uh, like, honestly, it's, it's, like a, it's mortifying for me to imagine any of those things happening in my life right now. But I, I did this show once, and, uh, and this guy grabbed me. And in the show, we would do this, like, singing, rapping, ridiculous, nonsensical thing. And then I would just share my testimony. And every time I just shared my testimony, I, I, was, a, I was 16, I was 15, I didn't know what I was doing. I just thought, I'm doing something, that's what we're supposed to do. We're a Christian band. That's what Christian bands do. But what I didn't realize was I was training to preach. And uh, this guy grabbed me one day. He's this giant guy. He's in, wearing like a, like a Sons of Anarchy jacket. Like he's, he's this motorcycle guy. He's really overweight. I think there's a little belly coming out of the bottom of the, the leather thing. But he was, he was like six foot seven. He was so much bigger than me. He could, he could just squash me. And he, he said, come here. He said, you, come here. And I was like, that guy's bigger than me. I better listen. And I walked over to like the corner of the sanctuary where he was and he rolled up his sleeve and on his arm was, was it said 666. And I was like, oh no, this guy's gonna murder me right now. Like, and I had already, like in, if you grew up in the 90s, the greatest fear of any child in the 90s was backmasking music, right? Like that was the scariest thing that could possibly happen was we play our music backwards and Satan's actually in it. And so I'm like, oh no, this guy's a backmasker. He's like, he's a part of this giant conspiracy. He's killing children. Like this, is there some kind of giant satanic thing going on? And he says, listen, he says, I used to be a part of a satanic cult. I got saved by Jesus about five years ago. I keep this on my arm so that I'll remember that God has victory over Satan and tells me this big long thing. And then he says this, he says, you're gonna preach to tens of thousands of people in your life and God has called you to be a pastor and give up the music thing and start preaching the word. <laughs> and I was like, 
yeah, but it wasn't good. Like, did, did you like the dance part? Like, <laughs> you know, was, there was that little dance solo. I don't know if you noticed it, but it was pretty amazing. I had a church that hired me as an intern when they never should have hired me. I had all kinds of churches that took a chance on me and invited me to become their pastor or to lead or to teach or to come do an event. I've got hundreds of people who have invited me to coach them over the years that I don't, I'm not qualified to coach anybody. I just try and teach the Bible to people. Like all of those things are a part of what's happened in my life. And all of us could tell that story. Of all the people that invested in you so that you could be where you are today, all the people that called out the good things in you, all the people that gave you words and encouragement and scripture and, and called out the good stuff in you. And I want to create a culture where our young people are hearing that stuff every day, guys. I want to create a culture where we boldly encourage specifically, even if it's weird. Right? Could we create a culture where like random people that you don't know just encourage you? I do that sometimes. I'll go up to somebody, I'll say like, hey, I think this is kind of weird, but I feel like God's telling me to do this, and so I'm just going to do it. Here you go. I hope you're encouraged by this. Like, what if we created a culture where, where, where that's what we did? We lay down ourselves for the sake of others. We leverage what we have for what somebody else could become. We leverage what we have so that somebody else can become uh, what, what, what God's called them to be. Uh, the desert is real, guys. We talked about it last week. Disorientation is real. When we start living these kingdom dreams, it's dangerous territory for us to walk in. Like we're going through things in our individual lives that are difficult and that are hard and that are challenging and, and, and we don't want to walk in this alone. Um, so can we just make a commitment as a community to say, I know there's a lot of discouragement that's happening in the world right now. I know there's a lot of disunity in the world right now. I know there's a lot of chaos in the world right now. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to encourage, and we're going to model peace in the middle of chaos, and we're going to love, and we're going to put on kindness and meekness and gentleness and humility and forgiveness, and we're going to do it together. Uh, so here's, here's, the, here's your homework. I've been given homework every week during this series. Um, I'm not sure if anybody's doing the homework, but I'm going to keep giving it. Where this week are you going to give specific criticism or specific encouragement? <laughs> My notes actually say criticism right here. Where are you going to give specific encouragement this week? Where are you going to find somebody and give them specific encouragement this week? Who is the person that God is calling you to encourage this week? Who's the person that God's calling you to, to step in front of? And how do you leverage all that you have for somebody else's future? There was a group of pastors in Africa that we had become friends with at a previous church that I worked with. And the band's going to come up, and, and we'll close today. But, but there was this group of, of pastors, and, and they, I, I love how they do discipleship in Africa. Like the pastors in Kenya, at least the pastors that I was a part of and, and they got to know, the way that they would do discipleship is each pastor of these churches would find a young man, and that young man would just shadow them for like 10 years. It was like this marathon of long obedience in the same direction. 
And so the pastors, I, I, I went on a missions trip to Kenya, and I was working at this really large church at the time. We had multi-million dollar budget. And, and I said to the pastor, I said, what can we do to help you? Like, what's the greatest gift that we could give you? What's the thing? And I was thinking, like, maybe they'll have us fix a building up for them, or maybe they'll have us build them a new church building, or maybe we'll do the, we'll paint something. That's what, that's what you do on missions trips, or something like that. And, and he said, the greatest thing that you could do is these two boys here, who have been following me for the last five years, want to go to Bible college. Will you guys pay for them to go to Bible college? And I, I remember just saying, okay. Well, I figured out how much it costs first. And then I was like, okay, we can do that. And like seven years later, I got this email. And I didn't even remember it. Like, I honestly, I did not remember that we gave money and resources for this to happen. It was like $20,000 in a $3.5 million budget. It was not a big deal. And like seven years later, I get this letter from this pastor who's like, I'm pastoring a church now. And it's because your church leveraged all that they have so that I could go to Bible college. And it's because you guys sacrificed, and it wasn't even really a sacrifice, so that I could have this. And he said... I've got these two young men that I've been discipling. And I thought about writing you to ask if you would pay for them to go to Bible college, but I realized I actually have the money to send one of them, and so I'm sending them, and I'm paying it forward. He didn't use that language, but I'm paying it forward. This is the kingdom, guys. This is what we're called to do as we become a people who leverage whatever we have for those around us. We lay down our lives for our friends and we sacrifice so that the next generation can go much further than we go. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that none of our dreams are aspirational. I pray that we're not just a church that talks about discipleship, and talks about the kingdom, and talks about mission, and talks about the next generation, talks about the neighbors the nations. But I pray that we're a church that actually leverages all that we have for the sake of others. And Lord, I don't, I don't know how to create culture. I can read books on it. I can study it, but you're the one who makes it happen. And so we just humbly pray that you would create a culture of encouragement in this place that you would create a culture where we lift one another up, where we urge each other on, where we sharpen one another, where we call out the best in one another. And I pray that there are stories from the next generation who say, because you leveraged what you have, I've been able to achieve my kingdom dream. I pray that there are stories of kids in our elementary school downstairs right now who say because of the community I grew up in and because of the place that I lived and because of the way I was loved, I now have experienced the beauty of the kingdom calling that God has in my life. I pray that there's students in our youth ministry right now who don't see themselves as worthy, Lord who don't believe that they have anything to offer the kingdom or anything to offer the world. And I pray that because they're a part of this place, because they're a part of this family, because they're a part of this church, that they begin to see their beautiful worth and value in you. 
And I pray for adults that are new, that are coming to be a part of our family or joining us for the first time or just starting to become a part of grace. I pray that they would know the beautiful fellowship that we have and they would experience the same joy that I experience and the same love that I experience from the people in this room. So Lord, teach us to encourage one another. Teach us to do it together. Teach us to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. And our promise to you is you will get all the praise and all the glory for every bit of this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion. If you didn't get the elements, there's some tables along the side and you can grab those. And we're just going to kind of quietly take a moment, be with Jesus, thank him for his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And as we wrap up today, as we kind of close in worship, be thinking about who is that person that you're called to specifically encourage this week.